welcome to the Empath and the Narcissist podcast, where you regain your sparkle back after narcissistic abuse. I am your host, Raven Scott, a trauma-informed spiritual mentor, certified meditation teacher, and human design expert. I'm empowering empaths in recovery and healing from narcissistic abuse, childhood trauma through human design, self-care, mindfulness advice, and expert interviews. Subscribe now. This is season five, episode 90, how to banish the dark side of narcissism out of your life with Aaron Riley. Do these phrases sound familiar? I'm too good for this. I shouldn't have to tolerate these people. Remember when I helped you a few years ago? You owe me a favor. These are examples of what a covert narcissist might say. And if you're hearing this and you're hearing this more often than not, and it's not a one-off chance, and they're saying, I was just joking, I can't believe you took that seriously, then you are dealing with a covert narcissist. And you don't want to miss this episode. Today, I speak with our guest, Aaron Riley, who is a celebrated music maven, number one rock and roll radio station host, and author of A Dark Force. And she experienced a covert narcissist for 20 some odd years. And she shares with us her story and the signs on also how to repel and heal from the covert narcissist. So let's get into this conversation. Hello, welcome, Erin. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me, Raven. It's such a pleasure to have you on the show. Uh, your story is incredible. You've had so much experience, unfortunately, with a covert <laughs> narcissist. And I think it's always good for us to share because so many of us are dealing with covert narcissists. This is the biggest, I feel, pandemic is everyone kind of abusing with a smile on their face. And I'm just excited to have you help us learn more and how to guard ourselves and to, yeah, repel them. <laughs> repel them. That's that's going to be my next my next item on my website is narc repellent. I need to get like a little a little jar of narc repellent. I love that, like so. bear repellent. Yeah, wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't oh that be gosh. that would be a handy thing? Handy thing. It's very handy. Yes, it would be. Well, and my what? other hand, handy thing is my my voodoo doll, which I have also. So I'm Ooh, only teasing. Yeah. Yes, I sell these on my website. Voodoo dolls, right? Aren't they? Voodoo dolls. It's crazy. Yes, I'm yeah. only joking. I'm only joking. Yep. We win. Anyway, yeah, here to educate and illuminate and shed a little light on covert narcissism because uh, because there's there's no light shining on it, really. It's not obvious when you meet somebody who is uh, afflicted with covert narcissism, and I do mean afflicted with covert yeah. narcissism, uh, you can't see it. You just cannot see it. Yeah. And we're going to go into your story. I'd love to hear about you were in the rock and roll business. You had a very successful career. And you were just telling me before we hit record that you were in the, the music radio industry. So tell us a bit about that and how that ties into narcissism. Oh, well, it definitely ties into narcissism. That is for sure. Uh, so when I was a young girl, uh, and we can go back and talk about my childhood, because certainly that is how I became who I, who I became. Yeah. And was uh, was attractive to a narcissist. Basically, I mm -hmm. was an ignored and or neglected child uh, and uh, ran away from home, had a bad, dysfunctional young childhood uh, and I ran away to California. And I was very fortunate to break into the music business it was mm -hmm. sort of just by uh, by chance, by happenstance. I met a radio DJ and uh, he and I started dating and I would hang out at the recording studio, the radio studio with him. And uh, it was so much fun. I said, I want to do this. How hard is it to get a job like this? And he said, Aaron, a, a trained monkey could do this. <laughs> I thought, all right, that's for me. <laughs> and so I, I love talking and I love meeting people and I love uh, music. Of course, I was a huge rock and roll fan all throughout the late 60s and 70s. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, I just, I'm 64 years old. I was born in 1959. So I had the great fortune to be uh, raised in a time of great, great contemporary music. So many great bands in the 60s yeah. and 70s. So it really became uh, such a huge part of my life. And then my career path starting in my early, like maybe late teens, early 20s. 
So I'm out in Los Angeles, I'm hanging out at radio stations and one guy, one day some guy just doesn't show up and they're like, Erin, can you go on the radio? <laughs> and I'm in Los Angeles, top market. Uh, yeah. And it was in the, mid- in the middle of the night, but it was my big break. And uh, mm-hmm. from there, I think I got a little fire in my belly that I definitely wanted to do this. It was such a, a wonderful, uh, fun time in my life to be in Los Angeles in my late teens and early 20s. I'm actually from the East Coast and from like New York and, uh, and New Jersey. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. So, so you literally ran as far away from home as you could. <laughs> that's exactly it. And those are the words I would say to myself. I'm like, how far can I get? Like, do I really need to go to China or could I just go to California and be good there? Uh, so 3,000 miles off to the other coast. And, yeah. uh, and it just changed my life. I really want to mm-hmm. tell people that I do believe you can run away from your problems just temporarily uh, mm-hmm. to maybe give yourself enough space to uh, mm-hmm. see what they are and be able to address yeah. them and fix them. Uh, so I, I began what to build happened some- with your, Can I ask you before you get into your career, what happened with yeah, your yeah, yeah. family? Did you stop talking to them completely? Did you ever find your way back to confronting them? Like, how did that go? Uh, well, confronting, that's a pretty strong word for family. <laughs> I'm just going to say, because that's certainly right. something that would be, you learn more somehow to deal with what you've got with your family. Uh, mm-hmm. My family basically blew up. Here's what happened. I'll try to give you the most succinct version is that my father was alcoholic, uh, depressive, and uh, he uh, he just really had a really difficult time in life. He, uh, he had a rough childhood himself. My mm-hmm. mom, on the other hand, was quite narcissistic. Uh, mm-hmm. She was a fashion model. She was stunningly gorgeous. Uh, she wore wigs and false eyelashes and $10,000 dresses and modeled hot couture with designers. And she was just like a complete weirdo to me. Like, she was like, you're not a mom. <laughs> uh, so, you know, that I think in, in many ways, when I talk about it in, the, in my book, A Dark Force, in many ways that saved me uh, because I didn't personalize it. When my mom was selfish and or manipulative, as we know narcissists can be, uh, yeah. I didn't take it personally and think it was because I was flawed and my mother needed to lie to me. I just thought, well, she's the one with the problem. Look at her. She doesn't look like the other mothers. Uh, So I was pretty much left to raise myself. I grew up in New York City in Manhattan. Uh, I have just one younger brother who's a year and a half younger than I am. But my parents were checked out, completely checked out. Dad drinking, mom busy working, trying to cover Mm. up, big cover up act with dad's drinking. Uh, And it was like a madman scene in in my world as a child. I remember everybody's smoking and drinking and very well dressed. And it's all in black and white in my memory. Uh, but yeah. as a child, I feel as though my, uh, my whole person was becoming hardwired for fight, flight, survival. I'm in Manhattan where there's danger all around and I do not feel loved and protected by my family. I feel like they're busy doing their thing. Yeah. Uh, so that's why I ran away. That's why I ran away. Uh, off to California. And it did help me a lot. So once I broke into the music business, I had, uh, I really feel like it helped me to kind of build some self-esteem. I seemed mm-hmm. to, uh, to be good at it. And I moved up the ranks very quickly. That's uh, great. Yeah. Sometimes yeah. it can be a benefit to have the overconfident role model as a parent, but yeah, the emotional neglect is a really hard one to swallow. How did you start to heal from that emotional neglect from your childhood? I don't even think I I was aware of of so much that was going on within me throughout my life. It really wasn't until I was discarded by a narcissist that I began to learn these lessons about myself. Uh-huh. Uh, so I thought that it's a very naive way to think, but I thought that everybody thinks like I do. Every That's everybody's parents are busy, life, right? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. I, I didn't think there was anything wrong with me. And I thought, okay, well, they're busy being parents and they make all the rules and they have, they have all the control. So you just have to accept that. It's all that do as I do, do as I say, not as I do, or the things that yeah. parents used to say to kids. Uh, I'll give you something to cry about, clean your plate. Nobody cares yeah. what you have to say. Those kinds of like sort of quip phrases that parents used back when I was a kid. But Mm -hmm. I really feel as though myself and maybe a lot of people my age internalized that. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I felt like, okay, well, I don't feel flawed or bad. I just feel like, okay, well, you're a child and you have no rights. So Mm -hmm. maybe when you're 18, 
you can have all the rights, you know? So I was excited about that. So I think Mm -hmm. that I was fortunate in that way because I know uh, that other people who become somewhat codependent like myself uh, Mm -hmm. have very deep self, low self-esteem issues and have been uh, verbally shamed in their lives by their parents and or uh, bullies or bully teachers or yeah. whatever. So they carry that with them. And I really just somehow I skipped over that part. Uh, mm. I felt as though I could uh, handle, you know, uh, everything. I'm like, I can handle mm-hmm. not having love. I can handle not being hugged. I can handle not being listened to because that's what I became used to. Uh, And it was a good thing. It was a good thing to be self-sacrificing and focus on other people. I don't Mm. need anything. I'm good to go. Well, Mm. that's crazy, right? (laughs) And then, yeah, it's a good thing until it's not. And then all of a sudden you're at a certain age, you're like, what the hell am I doing with my life? Especially let's get into your narcissist. Where did you meet this covert narcissist? And yeah, we'll talk about your story with that. Sure. I Mm. met him on Match.com and I was already 40 years old, 40 years old. So oh, you would so think we're any- fast forwarding. So you met someone in the radio yeah. industry when you were younger, you were with him, but now we're fast forward. This, the actual covert narcissist yeah. is on match.com when you're 40. Okay. Yeah. Let me just, uh, to clarify, I've been married two times. Okay. Uh, my first marriage, I was 31. So still mm. you'd think I'd be old enough to know better, but I was 31 when I married my first husband and mm. I have a, uh, we have a beautiful son. Uh, mm-hmm. Julian, who is 31 years old this year. And so uh, uh, that was a six-year-long marriage. And that gentleman, my son's father, he mm-hmm. had also severe problems with alcohol like my father. So you know mm-hmm. how it goes, right? <laughs> it goes, yeah. you, you just go and recreate your childhood uh, dynamic with yeah. your adult choices of relationships. And so in my first marriage, I married my father, the yeah. alcoholic, and in my second marriage, I married my mother. <laughs> right, right. So, so I'm out of parents now. I think I'm good to go. <laughs> You're like, now it's, yeah, no more. Oh yeah. My so my first husband, my first husband, I will say, uh, he, his biggest problem was alcohol, but he's very intelligent and he knew how to use all those narcissistic tricks, the ones we all know and love, like triangulation yeah. and blame shifting uh, and whatnot. But I would not call him a disordered thinker mm. in the way that narcissists really think differently than the rest of mm. us folks out here. Uh, okay. So, but he did have plenty of emotional problems. So I was able to clearly mm. look at that relationship and see that he was drinking and say, okay, that's clearly a problem. I'm leaving this situation because the drinking is a problem. Well, yeah. three years later, I met a much larger problem because in, if you don't deal with the real root of the problem, which is mm. yourself, mm-hmm. then uh, the problems just keep surfacing. You know, I think we yeah. all learn that over time, right? That's so true. You just pop into another problem scenario that you, you're unconscious about. You're blind to it until you get to the root of it and, and open your eyes. And like you said, yeah. Like you're awakening, and that was one of my questions was like, what woke you up is you're awakening to even knowing what's happening in your healing was the discard by the narcissist. Yeah. So I'm already almost 60 years old at this point. So I guess uh, we'll call me a slow learner. Uh, but yes, yeah, so let's go back to I met him on match.com. Yeah. And uh, this is in the very beginning of any online dating. This is 1999. Uh, so there mm-hmm. weren't even that many people on match.com at the time. But yeah. uh, when I first met him on this blind date, lunch date, uh, he just seemed very different than anyone I had ever met before. And because I don't trust my gut or up until that time, I didn't trust my instincts because every mm-hmm. time I thought, oh, this is the right thing for me, like the first husband turned mm-hmm. out to be at my perception was the wrong thing for me and I had to leave it. Now, when I look back as a more enlightened person, I can say that was the first right thing. You know, I had to wake up to the fact that I was still trying to fix my childhood through Mm. bringing other people (laughs) to recreate these scenarios, (laughs) bringing other people into my life. Uh, So yeah, so that was my first big lesson. But he, uh, the second one, the second husband, the one that caused the most damage, uh, he was completely different, very shy, 
quiet, good listener, kind of hanging on my every word, seemed incredibly interested in everything about me and Mm. didn't seem to suck up all the air in the room. And uh, that was maybe my job. I don't know. I guess working in the music business, I had met so many other men that Mm. uh, like the attention, whether they're uh, performers or whether they're uh, sales guys, promoters or whatnot, uh, they did suck up a lot of attention. So when I met this man, I thought, well, you know what? I haven't done a very good job choosing up until mm-hmm. now. Why don't I try this guy? He's completely mm-hmm. different. This guy's really supportive and kind of solid and comes from a good family, has a good job and is a good listener. That This is husband material. You just don't know. Try yeah. this guy. He's different, right? Well, it sounds no. like it from when he was presenting himself when you were first talking to him and everything. Yeah, it sounds like this seems like a safe bet. <laughs> right. And this is what we call that whole mirroring stage when they're mm-hmm. they're matching up with everything that you're telling them so that you start thinking that they're your soulmate. You're like, oh my mm-hmm. God, this guy is exactly what I've been looking for my whole life. I feel seen. I feel yeah. heard. You know, and that's what I hadn't felt before. When I was a child, I felt ignored. In the music business, Mm. I certainly felt the great fortune to feel seen and heard. But honestly, that's not real. It's kind of a fake existence. They only wanted to see and hear my opinion because they wanted airplay on my radio station. So there was something they could get for it. It wasn't really about me. Yeah, it was transactional. Exactly. And that is how narcissists think. And they think differently than you and I do. And you know what? They think that we think the same way. They think that everybody out there is thinking, well, I better get an upper hand here first because they're doing the same thing to me. And that's unfortunate, but it's reality. And I think that we all have to come to accept the fact that not everybody thinks like you do. And uh, and it's important to really connect with yourself and your own uh, needs and your own intuition Uh, because everybody has a built-in compass to do that for them. And uh, myself, my experience is that my compass uh, was very disconnected from my heart and soul, Mm -hmm. disconnected from my brain, because your brain is so strong. My brain was hardwired to protect me and to help me survive as a child in New York City without a family. Yeah. So, uh, So checking in with my gut and learning to trust my instincts was completely foreign to me completely mm-hmm. foreign. It's something that I've been working on very hard. And, and I'm happy to say that it is a, it is a learnable skill. Oh, I love that. Yes. That yeah. is really encouraging. Down. It is really encouraging because I think a, a lot of people, especially listening right now, all my empaths, right now they don't trust their gut because maybe they're in the middle of it, right? And we see you and we hear you that this, this is really difficult or you've been in it twice and you're like, oh my gosh, I keep making the same mistake. Like I can't ever trust myself, but it is a muscle. I always say like our emotions are mm-hmm. like going to the gym. It's like a muscle you can build. It absolutely is. And you know what, when you're being gaslit on a regular basis, you know, yeah. you're under, you're under attack. Yeah. So if, if you're an empathic person and that's your nature is to connect with others through your, through your soul connection and whatnot, if, if you're, somebody is really trying to override that for you and like actively trying to gaslight you, uh, yeah. it's just so hard. It's so hard to, uh, to know what's true and what's false in the world Mm -hmm. Uh, because Mm -hmm. you want to believe, especially if you're an empath, that no one would lie to you. Why would they do that? Your parents wouldn't lie to you. They love you. Your husband wouldn't lie to you. He says he loves you. Well, that's what they do, especially the covert is they say, well, I'm, I'm just telling you this for your own good, right? To help you. But it's like, no, you're not. You're telling it to manipulate and control me. That's totally false. Yeah. And I had no... I had no idea. You would believe what you're being told. I would believe what I was being told. And I would assume most people mm-hmm. would. How can yeah. anybody be walking around the the earth and think to themselves, well, I better really, really careful. Everybody, half the people are out here out to get me. I know. Like, you and wouldn't want to think that. As a good person and a, and a kind-hearted empath, we, like, it's mind-boggling. Like, I still can't try. You like, you try and put yourself in their shoes. You're like, I can't fathom how someone could be so evil. Like, how so mean. Well, and I, I, I have, and because I am pretty empathic, as are you and probably all of your listeners, that's why, first of all, I just want to say I love the title of your podcast because mm. what it says to me is that it should, I hope 
communicates to everybody is that it takes two mm-hmm. to tango. Yes. There are two people that uh, that create this toxicity. And just because you feel like you're the kinder person as the empath, that doesn't mean you're not equally responsible for the the unhealthy dynamic going on. That's you know? it. That's it. Yeah. Yep. So we can only take, take uh, our part. And thank you for seeing that and hearing that. That's it's it's interesting because it's like, oh, I hope that people don't see it. It's like, well, it is kind of a duality. Like it's the light against the dark, but it's also like it is two to tango, right? And we, as an empath, we need to be discerning and we need to grow in our maturity in our superpowers versus being vulnerable and just open hearted and having all of our doors open to the narcissist to come on in and control us. That's correct. And you know what? The, yeah. the stronger you are in your sense of self, if you're an empath, the stronger you make yourself internally by checking in with yourself and knowing who you are, the more people you can help. And you know what? Yeah. That's the goal for an empath, right? How many people can I spread love upon? How can I make the world a better place? How can I yeah. uh, help that person feel seen and heard? Well, that's all beautiful, but not at the expense of yourself. And the irony is that the narcissist will hook you in and you focus all of your healing and light onto them when all they're doing is kind of like being like a death eater in Harry Potter. They're just like sucking it all and not allowing you to like shine your light to other people or even for yourself. Absolutely. Well, you just, it's like death by a thousand paper cuts, you know, and I really believe that you just, your sense of self, when you're in a relationship with a narcissist for a long time, when they're using all their little tricks, the triangulation, blame shifting, the projecting upon you, gaslighting yeah. you. My my second husband used to use quotes from the princess bride to fake in- intimacy with me. So oh let gosh. me see if I can explain that. The movie, The Princess Bride. And I have quotes uh, sprinkled throughout my book. Uh, because you know what's it so actually, funny? Yeah. Is I have a page up. I was going to read a quote and it has Princess Bride on the page. <laughs> So you oh, keep so going funny. and then I'm going to read a quote. Yeah. Okay, we'll go there. So he would say to me, "Say, I'll give you a scenario. I would say, hey, honey, can you pick up some milk at the grocery store? And mm-hmm. he would look at me and he would just pause for a second and go, as you wish. Okay, you know what he's probably really saying? Pick up your own damn milk. Right. He's thinking to himself, like, why do I have to do that for you? Why can't you get it for yourself? Like, I'm busy, right? Very passive but- aggressive. Mm-hmm. Yes, but mm-hmm. instead he's using, he can't even use his own words. You know, he couldn't even fake the, oh, I'd be so happy to, honey. I would love to do that for you. Anything else? Anything mm-hmm. else I can do for you? Right. Because he had all that anger and resentment toward me. So the mm-hmm. only way he could keep that going was to fake little quotes from the princess bride to make me believe that we were intended soulmates. And I would think, wow, that's mm-hmm. something. There's a disconnect in here. Like he's so dismissive and cruel and he rolls his eyes at me and he just seems like he's filled with anger toward me. But, Mm -hmm. but he'll also say, this is true love. Don't you think this happens? You know, do you think this happens every day? I have to go true love. Boy, I don't feel truly loved. That's for sure. Uh, So anyway, yeah, (laughs) it's all, it's just, it's, it'll really mess with your brain. uh, And, uh, and that's why it's so hard to come out of these types of relationships and and mm. uh, figure out how to heal yourself because you are really just a, I, I tell people, my brain was mashed potatoes by the time mm. this gentleman was done with me. Uh, so anyway, totally. but we're, the last thing totally. I want to say on that note is that neuroplasticity is real. And if you yes. heal yourself, you can think again, you can make decisions again. You'll be able to read again. You'll be able to understand television shows and movies and all the things that go away when you're under that brain fog of being gaslit regularly. So what is the Princess Briar? What's the page you're on? So I'm on, oh, I'm on the Kindle. So I don't know what page I'm on, but it's like halfway through the book. And Uh it was talking about your marriage because this happened to me also. So how many other empaths out there listening has this happened to you? The quote is, we kept our legal marriage a secret from friends and family and made our neighbors vow to keep it a secret too. And for me, it wasn't like we kept, we did keep it a secret, but it was more so like we had to have a confidential marriage at the courthouse with no witnesses because we, he was so special. Like a, he was, he sold it to me like, oh, celebrities do it. I was like, okay, 
But I was like, at first I was like, why? Why are we not just having a normal wedding? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, because it's not a normal relationship at all. Right. And, and, and listen, let's, to that end, let's talk about gut, gut feeling. Right. So as soon as that happened, your first question to yourself was, why are we not having a normal wedding like other people have something to plan and share and share with family and friends? And then you say, oh, well, because celebrities do it and it's intimate and it's between us. And because we're a bonded, you start doing that cognitive dissonance. Your brain is so strong. It'll override your gut every time. And that's why you have to, like you said, train your gut like a muscle. Uh, because mm-hmm. your gut is telling you the truth and your brain is telling you lies. Maybe not always, but it's certainly very capable. And your gut is really not capable of telling you a lie. It's true. It's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And it's just so bizarre. I, I I just, for him, like, what was his rationale of why did he keep your marriage a secret? Well, I think mine might have been a little bit different uh, from yours, but I think that my husband never proposed to me ever. Uh, We were dating for about five years. We were already living with each other, living in the same house and owning a house together for several years before we got married. It was my idea to get married. uh, Me too. (laughs) (laughs) Can I just say, seriously, did you think it was going to make it feel like more normal to be married? I always wanted a family. Raven, yeah. I had no family. I wanted a family. I was going right. to buy, I'd go buy one, whatever it took. <laughs> Give me a family, please. So it just looked so perfect on the outside. He was kind and helpful. He was attractive. He had a great job. He had one daughter. He only had one marriage. So it seemed like mm. light on the baggage, maybe. He didn't yeah. have any drug or alcohol problems that I could discern. He just, and he was very reliable. Uh, and even though I couldn't feel him connected, like emotionally, I couldn't feel that sort of mm-hmm. emotional connection with him. I really just told myself with my genius cognitive dissonance skills right. uh, that it would come over time, that mm-hmm. it would come over time. So our marriage mm-hmm. on January 1st mm-hmm. was because it was the start of a new tax year. That's mm-hmm. why. He thought that would be a great idea. We'll get married on the 1st. That way we'll be filing separately for this tax year and we'd be filing jointly for this tax year. But we just, we had a wedding planned for the family outdoors in the spring, late spring, summer. Uh, Mm -hmm. That So why did it have to be kept secret? I don't know. Maybe similarly to what uh, your partner was saying, it feels like a little something between just the two of you, you know, and that feels feels special. Like it's you and me against the world. The control, right? The secrecy and the control of some type of like, we're we're specially bonded, right? It's like, right? No, this is just weird behavior. It's just weird <laughs> behavior. When you're in, when you're when you're in it, you do. It's almost like they do make you feel extra special. Like, oh, this must be because whatever they're saying. Absolutely, and you know what? Yeah. They are so tuned in. That's why, like I said, mine would seem like a good listener. You know, mm-hmm. well, they're not divulging information about themselves. They're mm-hmm. listening a lot. And so I felt seen and heard by this man. Mm-hmm. And uh, and what he was really doing was collecting ammunition so that yeah. he could manipulate me in the future. And uh, mm-hmm. and the way he did it the most was to uh, to stonewall me and not to not to respond when I would ask him a question. And mm-hmm. boy, he got that right out of the narcissist playbook that I believe my mm-hmm. mother handed to him. Mm-hmm. Sorry, mom. <laughs> but this is my mom was the stonewaller. Mm-hmm. Right. I say, hey, mom, something, anything I need, something. Just look the other way. I'm busy. You're a child. Shut up. Don't care. Wow. Right. She's just busy. Like, oh, yeah. I don't, I can't deal don't with you. Don't bother your, me. Right. Yeah, don't uh-huh. bother me kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. And I'd be like, all right. Uh, so when my husband would do the same to me, I would think to myself, oh, well, okay. I'm not going to let that bother me. But of mm-hmm. course it bothers you if you speak to somebody and they don't respond to you. And I either told him my mother did that or he watched my mother do that. But that is my deepest childhood injury is to not be acknowledged 
when I speak, mm-hmm. when I'm trying mm-hmm. to get attention. And uh, so that's where he's zeroed in on me. So yeah, they're studying you yeah. and they're studying you so they can manipulate you and they're manipulating you so they can feel more powerful and also so that you won't leave them. Because at the very heart, at the, the below all of this horror that we're speaking of is mm-hmm. nothing but fear. And the deepest fear is fear of abandonment and uh, fear of being uh, irrelevant uh, for mm-hmm. them. And uh, they really, they're so far below that uh, they're so injured that uh, it's near impossible to get them out of that. Uh, so us yeah. empaths, we, we feel it. We feel that deep fear and we want to make them feel loved and protected. Uh, but uh, you're not strong enough. No one is strong enough, really. No. And it's interesting you were talking about fear of abandonment. And I felt that as well. Like what I was also stonewalled and I would have when I, my consequence for displeasing the royalty was him taking away vacations. So like we would get timeshares and things that his dad would give us. And he'd be like, well, we're not going. You don't deserve it. And like things like that. Or then he wouldn't talk to me. Like you said, like just complete silent treatment. And it made Punishment. me so anxious. I would then chase after him and do whatever it took to make him happy again. It's like, well, he had me wrapped around his little finger, like 2020. when I look back, 2020's hindsight. That's right. It's no. punishment, punishment. You punishment. are there. You are there to help them regulate their emotions. You are mm. there to validate them and make them feel normal and special or normal. I mean, in like I'm married just like everybody else and I have kids in a house and I'm normal. Like I fit in. I'm yeah. not different than other people. I do think that they really believe and know that they are different, that they think differently uh, than other people. And I think they find the world very confusing uh, and they're afraid of that. And so the you only make way them that- why they, they mask it as arrogance, right? My That's what I believe. Feel like he's above everyone, but maybe he was just more confused. But he played it off as arrogant. What do you Listen, think? Listen, I don't want to. I don't want to feel too sorry for them because they inflict a lot of harm on people. But yes, I can't help but go there. But yes, that's how I feel. I, mm-hmm. I feel as though they are just uh, terrified of being found out, and they just yeah. have to lash out all around them. I, I sort of view them as like the boy in the bubble. As long as they're hiding in their little hard shell bubble. And the mm-hmm. world works the way that they want it to. And people tell them what they want to hear and they believe their own thinking or whatever. They're safe. But the minute you try to reach through that bubble, you're going to get your arm chopped off. You know, <laughs> yes. so so you learn not yeah. to. That's how you become small. That's how you walk mm-hmm. on eggshells. That's how mm-hmm. you start to cater to their every need, you know, and uh, and that's the way they want it. And uh it's a, it's a really tough existence. And, and I feel for there are people in the world all over the place that I speak to, and I'm sure you do too, that are really genuinely trapped. You mm-hmm. and I are very fortunate that we were able to free ourselves. Mm-hmm. So some people are trapped because they either have financial considerations or they don't have yeah. work experience or they have health issues that prevent them from leaving. And I hope those people can learn the skills that they need to still protect themselves as well too, whether that be gray rocking or Mm -hmm. not engaging when they are being manipulated. Because as you become hip to these patterns of behavior that narcissists all share, uh, and you have to deal with them, if you can become an educated empath, you can become uh, a, a stronger person in your sense of self. Uh, which is everybody's journey is to the journey of yourself, journey to your own soul and who you are and what makes you tick. Yes. And that's why I love the connection and the marrying between knowing your authentic self through your human design chart. Cause you really can see like, where are my vulnerabilities in my energetic sphere? And then you're so you're aware of it. And then you can work on building your muscle to close that back door and not let the narcissist into your energetic sphere. It's so powerful. It is so powerful. And and for me, I, I really had to be hit over the head with like a mallet or an anvil or something. My <laughs> husband, my husband discarded me like a true crime story. It's like incredible. It's like a big, uh, like a life lifetime movie of the week. Oh my uh, gosh. So Tell us had, about it. Cause that was your yeah. aha moment, correct? 
Well, my aha moment is when, I mean, he just said something so stupid, like, Mm -hmm. here's what happened. So he would always triangulate. Mine was a big triangulator. He had the one daughter and she was very young when we first met, 11 years old. And she had been manipulated by him as well. I don't know whether or not she realized it at the time. She didn't realize it, but certainly Mm -hmm. she was daddy's little girl. And he would tell her that I didn't really want to have a stepdaughter. And he would tell her, you know, me, that she didn't really like me. I was too overbearing, too loud, too forward, too aggressive, mm-hmm. assertive, whatever. Things that he felt I was. You're yeah. too assertive. Get smaller. Yeah. Uh, but he definitely did a lot of triangulation. And uh, so after she grew up and she moved out because we were together 20 years, uh, she mm-hmm. was, uh, there was a celebration that she was going to be participating in down in Washington, D.C. We were in Philadelphia. And he said, I'm going down there to watch this ceremony, uh, but you're not welcome to come. She doesn't really want you to be there. And I said, why mm. not? And he said, well, she, she just wouldn't feel comfortable. You'd ruin the day. She, it would ruin the day for her if you were there. And I said, oh well, just, we've, been together, we've been together 17 years now. Like, when is she going to mm. get used to the fact that I'm going to be around? And he goes, I don't right. know, maybe another 17 years. And when he said that, my stupid brain, and I don't mean stupid, my silly brain, because I'm pretty, I thought I was pretty smart. I mm-hmm. said to myself, hmm, 17 plus 17 is 34. So 34 years of being with this man, his daughter will finally accept me after 34 years. And it was so obvious that it was bull that yeah. uh, that's, that's when I woke up. And I started, I, that's when I fought back. So after that, I started fighting back really hard. Like the minute mm-hmm. he would gaslight me, I'd go, that's not true. That didn't happen. Mm-hmm. Why are you rolling mm-hmm. your eyes at me? You know, mm-hmm. why'd you say that? That's pretty dismissive. I'm like sort of fighting back and holding my own suddenly. And I think that's when he decided, uh-oh, she's on to me. Time, mm-hmm. time to start discarding. Time mm-hmm. to discard. Uh, and I don't know when he made the firm decision, but here were our plans that we were enacting toward the end of our relationship or our working lives together. We we're going to retire. And we were mm-hmm. talking about where would we retire? And we decided to build a beautiful custom home off the coast of Panama on an mm-hmm. island overlooking the Caribbean. And we spent almost eight years building this beautiful custom home overlooking the Caribbean to retire to. Mm-hmm. Now, let me just say like a side caveat here is that my husband's father was a federal judge and an attorney, and my husband spoke fluent uh, Spanish, and I did not. And as an expat, you are not allowed to buy property in Panama, but you can start a corporation, Panamanian corporation, that could then mm-hmm. buy property and build the house. So he set all that up and I'm thinking, what a great guy. He set it all up. Well, guess what? He set it up to give himself a majority interest in that property. Uh And I never knew. I never knew because I don't speak Spanish and I don't read Spanish legal contracts. I just trusted him. So Uh that was the beginning of him stacking the deck setting up all of our financial accounts so that they were online banks and not bricks and mortar banks, setting up all of the credit cards so they were in his name and I was a secondary user, setting up the Mm. phones. Everything was set up so he had full control over everything. And Mm. uh, he moved down to Panama. We sold our house. We sold our our business. And uh, we were preparing to move to Panama together while he kept promising me that he was going to be happier in Panama. This is the typical cycle of abuse. I'm going to be happier. I'm going to be retired. I'm going to be more relaxed. I'm going to be kinder to you, right? And I wanted to believe him after 20 years, I'd invested so much time. Well, he went ahead of me. He went ahead of me uh, and I was afraid to go because here's the big thing that happened. I was afraid to go because things were getting really really scary with him. The dissociation, the anger, quick to anger, the, just the gaming just seemed to really escalate. Uh, mm-hmm. And we went into uh, counseling for the, I don't know, sixth or seventh time together. Mm-hmm. And uh, the counselor recommended psychological testing. So we did psychological testing and his came back pretty scary. And the therapist uh, warned me not to go. He said he could hurt you. Oh, and wow. I went, oh, Oh, come on. You know, that's ridiculous, you know. And as I heard myself saying that, Mm -hmm. I also heard myself saying that's probably the last thing that any person ever says before they are hurt, right? Right. He'll he'll never hurt me. 
She yeah. wouldn't do that to me. She wouldn't. She wouldn't do that to me. She's just bluffing, right? He's just yeah. bluffing, right? Yeah, so well, uh, true crime, like right before the crime. Yeah, absolutely. Right. So as soon as I heard myself say that out loud, I thought, well, okay, don't be stupid. Let him let him prove it to you that he's a changed man. Ha ha ha. And so that's when the big hoovering started and all the you're the love of my life and I can't wait till you get down here. Uh, but he was hoovering me while he was already working on bringing in another girl in, love bombing mm -hmm. somebody else online. Uh, so when I wouldn't fall for the tricks, he just uh, replaced me with her. So after 20 mm -hmm. years, I'd already shipped everything I had ever owned down there. All of my money was invested there. And suddenly things start falling like dominoes. We've got mm. credit cards are canceled. I can't get into Netflix or Prime and the passwords are changed and my easy pass doesn't work. And so that's what happened to me. So uh, I was becoming aware that something was really very seriously wrong, but I had the great fortune to have a psych evaluation uh, yeah. to give me some clarity about how he was thinking. Uh, and then that sort of matched up with the behaviors and I refused to go. And oh, next wow. thing I know, I got a divorce decree. I got a, I love you. I can't wait till you get here. And then four days later, oh, listen, sorry, I had to file for divorce <laughs> now that I got everything. Uh, so yeah. yeah, that's what happened. And it was, oh. uh, it was pretty shocking. Uh, but yeah. listen, I guess I'm that stubborn and I guess that I, I needed to have, like, I'm not a quitter. I'm not a quitter. I'm mm -hmm. not a quitter. I'm strong. I'm strong. I'm strong. I can strong. take it. I can take it. Those are the messages I tell myself and, uh, and they're not helpful. So, well, you know? and that is exactly mm -hmm. the quote that you put up on your Instagram just recently, mm -hmm. the denial of what was really happening had to take over my ability to see clearly. Covert narcissists rarely initiate divorce, but they will make you, your life a living hell until you divorce them. That way, they can remain the victim and procure sympathy from their new source of supply. And you say, oh, poor me. She was crazy. She cheated on me and left me. But I was stronger than he bargained for, but sadly, to my own detriment. Yeah, that is true to my own detriment. Here I am. This, I'm not a quitter, but I, I'm going to be, uh, like I said, a pile of mashed potatoes <laughs> by, the time, by the time I'm done telling myself that I'm strong enough to handle it. I don't even exist any longer. You know, whatever yeah. me was supposed to become. Yeah. So I'm grateful. I know that it's a real challenge. Most people, I think, actually get hip and, and leave these kinds of relationships. Uh, and and I'm happy for them. They still have tons of work to do. Uh, mm -hmm. But if you're at all like me and you're so freaking stubborn that you think you can fix anything, uh, I'm here to tell you that <laughs> it's just not. Yeah, sure. Maybe you could. Maybe you think you could <laughs> fix everything. But it's going to be at your own expense. And, uh, yeah. and that is not the point of life. Mm -hmm. Narcissists will think of themselves first and, and, and at the expense of others. Uh, I want empaths to think of themselves first in a slightly different way. Just check in with yourself. Check in mm -hmm. with yourself. Am I okay with this? How do I feel? Does this serve me? Is this positive for me? Is this enhancing my life? Mm -hmm. whatever, does, whatever is before you. Uh, so yes, put yourself first. It doesn't have to be at the expense of everybody else, but just start there. That's all. Start there and learn to trust yeah. your gut. Learn to trust your gut because uh, everybody has instincts. You may not, you may not trust them uh, for good reason, uh, but you can develop that. And I love what you're doing with your meditation and things like that. It's a wonderful way uh, to bring some mm -hmm. peace and quiet into your life so you can really connect up what's going on inside uh, the you that is you. Yeah, and, uh, thank you yeah. for that. Yeah. That's really important because, I mean, I feel like that's the gym, right? This just sitting there quietly within yourself and listening to mm -hmm. yourself is the gym of how to strengthen your emotions and your, your intuition. So we have two huge big takeaways from your story. Take it from Aaron. Don't try and fix the narcissist. Don't try and hang on and wait. I had one other more in, really kind of uh, interesting, curious question about when he was hoovering you. At the same mm -hmm. time, he was planning on discarding you and taking all of your money and all the property. What were you thinking? Because you had that diagnosis. Were you thinking, well, let me just wait and see if this pans out? Or were you tempted? Like, were you being tempted while he was hoovering? Or what was going on there? 
It was over by then. I was okay. not being tempted at that time. Okay. I wanted to believe it. I wanted to believe it, but I didn't believe it. Mm-hmm. I didn't mm-hmm. believe him. And there was a, there was uh, something that happened. He had told me over the eight years we were building this house and we were traveling down there to supervise the build and get uh, become uh, more uh, familiar with the area that we'd be moving to and whatnot. We would travel down there a few times a year. Mm-hmm. He would promise me, I'm never going to be this way, this angry way in Bocas. Oh, well, it's in my book. It's not a secret that it's called Bo- Bocas del okay. Toro. It's Panama okay. as a area in the, in the Caribbean side on the Atlantic side. It's beautiful, beautiful. But one day he did. One day just before we were going to move there, we were down there and he mm-hmm. started a fight. Mm-hmm. I know he started a fight out of nothing. Like I absolutely knew that he instigated this fight to try and create like an explosion. And we had Mm -hmm. a fight that lasted 13 hours. Mm. Can you even believe that? Like, I don't know how one of us didn't just fall over dead, but uh, (laughs) oh my God, so hard. And that's when I knew he'd say, I'll never act that way in Panama. And he did. I watched but I watched him do it. And that's how, once I came home after that, it was hard to go down again. So Mm. sadly, I've never even seen the house. I built this house for eight years Mm -hmm. with my husband as a beautiful retirement project. And, uh, and I've never seen it in person again. And and another woman lives there. Somebody Mm. that, that he met, I I would assume online, uh, and moved to Panama. Uh, to be with oh. him, somebody from the United States. So I, wow. I wish I wish her well, uh, because I wish her safety. Yes, I wish her safety because that's annoying. isolation. That's another mm-hmm. thing we need to talk about. Right? Is mm-hmm. the whole goal? They are narcissists are looking to isolate you from anybody that might hip you to what's going on. You know? Yeah. And I don't care. That's friends or family or your coworkers that may say to you, "Yeah, I I, I don't know about him or whatever." They don't want to hear that. So mm-hmm. uh, so they may isolate you by moving you to another area away from friends and family. It could be within the same country or the same state or just another city. But in yeah. my case and in other women I've spoken to, a whole nother mm-hmm. country whole nother where country. they control or, the language. Or at least in the countryside, right? Like not in a city. So you're even more, yeah. Right. And so you're in big trouble if that happens to you. Mm-hmm. You're in very big trouble. And I started to have dreams that something horrible could happen to me down there. So I was afraid to go and I never mm-hmm. went. And I just had to resign myself to, oh, well, this happened. Yeah. And now you have to rebuild everything. Uh, the stuff, stuff is stuff. I was yeah. very fortunate in that I have an apartment to live in up uh, where I live outside mm-hmm. of Philadelphia. And that is mm-hmm. something that I got in this split. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, and, you know, I feel safe. I feel safe yeah. and I have a safe, safe space to heal in and to learn in and to hopefully share my story, to help teach other yeah. people. My main goal for my book is to reach young people because I'm mm. concerned that I was about 58, 59 years old when this happened to me, that I was discarded by a narcissist and I had to really wake up to it. Yeah. You know, And I've talked to a lot of people who have said things to me like, wouldn't it be great to have this information before you met a narcissist? Yeah. You know? And perhaps your parents are supposed to hip you to stuff like that. But if they don't, wouldn't it be great if somebody, a mentor, an older sibling or a teacher uh, could tell you uh, early, could hip you to early warning signs and behaviors of uh, transactional thinkers and, and predatory people so that you could recognize them because uh, yes. undoing it after the fact is uh, a lot harder. I really appreciate your intentions in writing your book for that, because that is that is it. This is for the future. This is for the children. It's not like narcissism is going away. It is definitely an evil force always here that we have to educate our children about. I always say on the podcast, I knew that there were wolves in sheep's clothing, but I had no idea what that looked like. And no one told me. They just told me they exist. I was like, okay, <laughs> great. I'd only, I'd only heard that phrase, Raven, wolf in sheep's clothing. I don't think I'd even knew that they were people. Here's what I thought. I thought, well, there's serial killers and then there's the rest of us. Right. Right. And the rest of us are all just doing our best, you know, and maybe people, we're all human and we're flawed. We make mistakes. People lie. They have fear or like these are normal human behaviors, but we're, our intention is Mm -hmm. good. And Mm -hmm. let me tell you that I think is the 
biggest word, the biggest word uh, takeaway for me is intention. That's the difference Mm -hmm. between a narcissist and a non-narcissist is the intention. If they are intending to manipulate, intending to control, intending to harm, then that's predatory and, and that's the evil force you speak of. Yeah, absolutely. That's all about that intention, which is like, well, what does that look like? And that's exactly our jobs is to keep talking about it and the signs and our stories and other people's stories to show what it looks like. It's it's just all through story and examples we have to show. So Absolutely. I really am grateful for your book and your work. Thank you so much. I'm so grateful for the opportunity to share my story through your podcast, your listeners. Such a perfect, uh, like I said, your title and the way that you present the healing process and the community to the community is, uh, it really is all about yourself. And I know that sounds like this is why we question ourselves. Am I the narcissist? Here I am all focused on myself. Well, if you even ask yourself that question, am I the narcissist? Probably not. The other thing. They don't have any (laughs) self-reflection. Yes, exactly. No. And and also, if you have empathy for other people, if you know that you feel, like when you hear a terrible story of something happened to somebody and you go, oh gosh, I'm so glad that didn't happen to me and that poor person, like, could I do something to help them? If that's your natural instinct, well, you're not a narcissist, right? Not even worse. Yes. Exactly. Uh, but yeah, it's a, it's a tough world out there, uh, but education is key and awareness is key and you're out there creating awareness and, and I'm out here telling a cautionary tale to people that it can happen to anybody. I was 40 years old and I was, I thought, well, fully, for, fully formed, uh, well into my career, uh, lots of friends and, and my adult life and I thought I was good to go and uh, I felt like I had to start all over again. Uh, yeah. And some of us do, but it's a blessing to have that honor to be able to do that and to be able to help other people uh, reach that goal, which is, like I said, the journey to that inner self of yours. So exactly. you can love you, love you. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Can you share with everyone listening where they can find your book? Sure. Uh, pretty much everywhere. So you can get it on Amazon. Uh, it's on barnesandnoble.com. Uh, you can go to a bookstore. They might not stock it yet until it's a little more successful, I hope, but you can order it at any bookstore that you go to. It would be in their database. Uh, and mm-hmm. also, it's on my website, and the website is adarkforce.com. Mm-hmm. And on the, on the website, I have lots of cool old pictures of my family and the narcissist with his face all scribbled out with like pencil and it's fun. And uh, I sell, like I said, again, I said, where, where can voodoo? Here is, here is my little voodoo doll. I sell, uh, I sell copies of my book. Here's the book. Here's the book in the mm-hmm. cover. Yeah, it's the called A Dark cover. Force. Mm-hmm. Yep. And the subtitle is 20 Years with a Covert Narcissist. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how well you can see this, but this depiction is the evil force. Around mm-hmm. it is a halo because that's the little angel that they present to you. And in this one ear, very tiny, there's a little pirate earring because they steal everything. Oh, I love that. Such little a deep pirate earring. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then this area here, this map is of uh, the Panama, Panama area. Uh, so, uh, mm-hmm. so that's the book. And I'm very proud of it. And I'm, I'm very happy that it's reaching uh, so many people and connecting with so many people. So, uh, mm-hmm. so, yeah. Oh, and on my website, I'll give you an autographed copy as well there too. So. Oh, good. Oh, yeah, yeah. Away for free. Well, sometimes we do. We do. Uh, I do giveaways mostly on my Instagram account. So okay. I have an Instagram. I got a TikTok. I got Facebook. I got all that yeah. jazz. Uh, so we do giveaways of sometimes the book on uh, on Instagram, and also okay. we give away voodoo dolls with the book too. Because doesn't <laughs> everyone need at least one? I mean, come on. Of course. <laughs> I love that. Just the dark, the dark empaths. So we love our voodoo dolls. <laughs> yeah, it's just being playful. Like I said, you yeah. have to kind of like laugh about things because uh, if you can't laugh about just life in general and the hard parts of life, then you're just going to cry all the time. And then what good yeah, does that do? Yeah, that's not going to help us getting going forward, right? It just keeps us stuck in our yeah. victim mentality. 
Yes. I could tell I was healed when I started uh, bursting into song and dance spontaneously. That's when I was like, I- yeah. I'm coming back again. So it is possible for anyone out there that's listening, that's either struggling in a relationship and trying to make the decision about whether or not to leave or whether they can even realistically do that. If you're coming to the real- the realization that you're in a toxic situation, mm-hmm. uh, you know, there is a there is a path out for you. Uh, and it starts with uh, it starts with you learning to love you, and like you said, giving yourself a quiet space to do that. Yes, yes. And stop the uh, bleeding. Stop the bleeding. Uh, That's what I would ble- say. Stop the bleeding. Yes, which means cut off the, the the stream of supply. Right, cut off all of the empathy towards them. Cut off the reactions, the arguments. Gray Rock method is really the best, which is just not being emotionally invested. You have to be detached because what they're trying to get from you is that drama and that reaction and the the emotional connection to keep you in. So if you're not emotionally connected, then you're not in there anymore. Yep. You're not getting pulled in the vortex. I was an easy one to get worked up. All you have to do is stonewall me. And then I'm, I'm off and running. Like that was my, uh, my trigger point. And I don't, I've never learned boundaries. That's, it's like, there is a study to, uh, to healing yourself. Uh, but it's, a uh, like I said, it's a good, it's not only is a good thing to study. It's like a happy thing to study because you're studying things that will help to make you a more whole person. So you yes. feel like you can protect yourself. And so you know yourself and, and, uh, you can make good and informed decisions for yourself. Absolutely. Healing the inner child within us is what's going to repel and block out the narcissist because that's what they're poking at. They are they're yeah. depending on your wounds to keep right. hooked into them. Yeah. And they have a they have a broken inner child. So they yeah. want to bring you down to their little broken place too, you know? Yeah. So uh but don't yeah. let them. Don't let them. You can feel sorry for them over there. Go over there. <laughs> <laughs> Over that way. That's the one biggest thing I had to learn was was that phrase, it's not my problem, it's your problem. Right. You know, don't own your problems. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Oh, some really great takeaways. And I really appreciate you being here, Erin. It's just been a pleasure having you. Raven, it's been a pleasure speaking with you. Another uh, survivor, warrior, sharer of uh, love and tools. That's a... That's what you, when you learn something, I feel like the onus is upon you to see what you can do to like spread that love around. And I know that's, like I said, I know that's being an empath, but I don't really want to be any other way. Like I want to feel, I want to feel for other people. Humanity is, it's such a, an existence sort of fraught with difficulty that if we can only just kind of help each other out a little bit, could make the ride a little bit smoother, a little bit more, a little happier. So Yes. So there you go. Yeah. Yeah. Embrace your empath superpower. There's no need to shy away from it being a bad thing. That yep. is, yes, that's that's what I'm trying to say. Oh, you said it so succinctly. <laughs> oh, nice, <thank> nicely <laughs> done. Nicely done by our host today. <laughs> Probably because I say it all the time. <laughs> Great job. Oh, thank okay. you. Thank you. So there you have another powerful conversation and so many key takeaways to learn and help you heal and shift from being the victim of a covert narcissist to being empowered in yourself. So for all my note takers out there, I'm just going to list them off again. Number one, put yourself first in a healthy way. Self-love, self-care, all of the things fill your cup up first so that you can heal and you can overflow and again you will either shift and change your partner in a very magical way or you will find it clashing more and more and the abuse may escalate because you're being authentically you and you're not being manipulated anymore so then you know okay it's time to break free it's time to get away number two is learn to trust your gut we talk a lot about this on the tuesday episodes in the human design your inner authority. So finding what your specific inner authority type is will allow you to exercise your intuition at your finest, at your strongest. Some have an emotional authority, some have a sacral, a spleen, or a self-projected. Those are the most common. 
So join the community and grab your free human design chart from me. Number three is knowing the intention. If you can find yourself being able to discern the intention of your partner, is it to manipulate you or is it in your best interest? And with the covert, they're going to say it's in their best interest. So you have to observe their actions. And number four, repeat the mantra. That's not my problem. That's your problem. I'm so grateful for you listening, finding the show and sharing it with your friends. It would give a great boost in the heart-centered algorithm to rate and review this podcast. If you are enjoying it, take a screenshot, share it on your socials, share it in a text message to a friend that you know right now needs to be pulled out of the quicksand. And remember, always keep your unique light shining. I just wanna make it last Try to let go of the past I close my eyes, embrace the blast Sleepless nights and headaches stack Restlessness to hell and back What's my purpose? What do I grab? A slippery surface, a heart attack And sometimes you just gotta believe There's something that'll give you relief There's something that'll have what you need What you need We're broken, it's tragic, we're not all elastic, but maybe...